0: Welcome back to the Press On Podcast. My name is Mike Woodruff, and we are trying to help you navigate crazy cultural times with timeless biblical truth. Or, as I said last time, something like that. We have now said that in January, we will roll out something that's polished, and we'll have the name down and the tagline and all that stuff. But uh, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm excited that today I have a chance to talk with Bob Merritt, and Bob is a recently retired senior pastor at Eagle Brook Church up in uh, Minnesota. It's a multi-site church uh, that, under his tenure, grew for under his multi-decade tenure, grew from uh, from a few hundred people to well over twenty thousand people. Uh, Bob did his undergraduate and master's degrees at Bethel University, did a Ph.D. in uh, speech communications at Penn State. I have known of Bob for 10 years or so, uh, hearing about Eagle Brook and hearing about his teaching and about their sort of zealous focus on reaching out and seeing people come to faith. And then uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Bob and I were together in Pennsylvania at a small gathering. Bob is one was one of three pastors who had recently retired or uh, were about to retire who were talking to um, eight of us who were in somewhere between the ages of 55 and 65 who had gathered together to say, at some point in the next 10 years we're going to step out of the lead chair and we ought to think about that. So uh, I think one of the eight that was there was basically ready to say, as soon as I can get out of this chair, I will do it. Uh, The rest of us were all saying, wow, I just don't see that day. I got energy. I'm excited. I'm moving as fast as I can. uh, Dreaming dreams and wanting to see more things happen. I'm definitely in that camp, but did, Get together. Was persuaded that it was wise to think about uh, how all this might unfold over the course of the next five or ten years. So, um, so Bob and I were together, and uh, he brought some. He had helpful things to share, and I discovered at that point his book, uh, which I have right here. Done with that. Escape the struggle of your old life. And we talked about that. Uh, we actually rode to the airport together as we were leaving, and had a chance to talk about that. And I said, "Would you humor me and come on this podcast? We can talk about this topic." So, Bob is uh, has been an adjunct professor at Bethel. He is a dad. He is an outdoorsman, uh, big hunter and fisher and he has a dog named Blue that he writes about and talks about at great length. So, Bob, welcome. Thank you for being on the podcast.
1: Mike, thanks for uh, having me. It's an honor to uh, be able to talk to you and those who want to listen today, and uh, hopefully God will use it in a powerful way.
0: Amen. So, I ended up with Three books coming my way, all in the matter of a couple of days. So your book, uh, Done With That. And then uh, a book by Steve Poe, who's one of the other guys there. So Steve uh, is now retired, stepped down from a church in Indianapolis. He wrote a book called Creatures of Habit, Breaking the Habits That Are Holding You Back from God's Best. And then this this book uh, by Drew uh, Dick, Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and brain science. And uh, I was a little surprised that, you know, they're all sort of stacked at my desk. And I looked at them, and I thought, these are three books that are saying the same thing. These are three books coming at the same issue. And that is, um, we could call it theologically, we could call it sanctification, we could call it uh, getting better, we could call, call it spiritual maturity, we could call it self-help books, we could call it all kinds of different things. Uh, but I sort of wondered if they, they were a sign from God that I needed to raise my game. Um, so I'm not going to ask you whether you think that's true. I'm going to ask you my first question of authors, and that is what's your book about?
1: Well, really, first of all, it is a sign for you, Mike.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: No, I, my I don't wife, know.
0: my children, uh, they they engaged you to say, would you talk with the guy? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, writing for me is is deeply personal. I, I never write anything uh, unless I'm really speaking uh, out of a personal experience, a personal struggle that I'm I'm wrestling with. This book, like my other two, just grew out of uh, a deep tension going on inside of me, a deep stirring, and I, I believe that that. Was God's spirit just uh, hounding me, if I can put it that way, uh, speaking to me, nudging me, keeping me awake at night? Uh, a, a book really doesn't emerge out of me unless I just feel absolutely dragged into it, compelled to write it. And if I don't, it's just an act of disobedience. So this particular book, Done With That, Escape the Struggle of Your Old Life, does get into you know, habits, I, I guess. I never really thought of it that way. Uh, and I was really was unaware of the other two uh, books that you uh, mentioned, of course, the one has just been written. So that wasn't out when I was writing. But a book for me is deeply personal. It's something I'm wrestling with uh, in my own life. And I see other people wrestling with I I would never write a book just to just to be in print. That's that's just not who I am. And so this this came from a deep place in my life done. You know, have you ever said, I I just want to be done with that. And I've Mm -hmm. said that so many times about a particular uh, habit or uh, problem that I'm dealing with in my own life, why can't I get over that? Uh, or why, why does this continue to surface as a nagging problem in my life? And so that's really where the, the title came, done with that. I want to be done with certain things, get over them, get past them, so that I can live a, a better life.
0: So, we, so I, I know that some people are going to be surprised. Because you're you're a pastor of one of the 10 largest churches in the country at the, at the time. So they, there will be people who think, in spite of whatever we say, uh, that our lives work better than they do, that we're over that, that we don't have these struggles or temptations or trials or challenges in our marriage or heartache or doubt or whatever. So I know that uh there are people out there that are surprised. Were you surprised? Like, do you look at your life and say, wow, if you had told me 25 years ago that I'd be pastoring this church and yet I'd still be stuck, if I can use that word? I'll still have these your term signature sin. I still have these, these habits, these I, I'm not my life is much more Romans seven than I expected it to be. uh, than it was, then it is second Corinthians, you know, five, there's a new creation and I am, uh, all things are new. And the old man is gone. So does it surprise you that you still have these struggles?
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I'm 65 now. I think when I was 25, I didn't know anything. But I thought I knew everything. Uh, When you're young, you just don't have an awareness That you should. You're just kind of driving hard and using raw talent, raw 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 ability. Hopefully, being led by God's spirit if you're a Christian. Uh, But you, you know, as a young person, I was so unaware of even my abilities. uh, As as we're you know trying to figure out who we are in life, you just you're just not aware. And at this age, having much of my life behind me, or two thirds of it, or three quarters of it behind me you would think at 65, you'd have it all nailed down or at 60 or at 55, whatever age you might be. But as you get older, Mike, uh, you realize you're not a perfect person. And as you try to overcome some of these flaws, uh, character uh, issues, flat out sin, and they keep repeating themselves, you realize you're not perfect. You're far from perfect, and we will never be perfect on this side of heaven, even though, like the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old life is gone, the new has come. And that's the verse, really, that's, that I stumbled on. How can this be true? What does it mean that the old life is gone and a new life has come? Because my old life is still there. I still struggle with my old life. So what does that verse mean to me? And I would hear pastors or teachers talk on that verse, and and make, and I'd feel so defeated, because it seemed like if I'm struggling with sin, still something is deeply wrong with me. Well, yes, it is. I still have a sinful human nature, and so if 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 you come, if you go through life and uh, conclude that you're perfect, or that you really don't struggle with sin or temptation or uh, uh, destructive tendencies, two things, you're either in denial or you're completely unaware. And I frankly had both of these things going on in my life. But as I got older, I began to understand, I'm simply unaware of how deeply flawed I am, even as a pastor who's taught on this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, so let me ask this uh so you you write in your book i mean i'm not sharing anything that you don't share you you've got lots of stories lots of stories about yourself and your your challenges and your struggles and i want to go to that in a second but your sort of signature sin was anger and you say that's the outer edge of the onion and you had to peel it back but let me ask this if if somebody saw you at 65 would they say bob you're better you're just more aware of your the areas where you're not better so you've got that quote by c.s lewis in there i mean it's a it's a quote i've i've resonated with out of mere christianity where he says a bad person doesn't know how bad they are <laughs> a good person starts to realize how bad they are because they've tried to be better and they go wow i can't and so to some extent is this Like, would you look at your life and say, I have seen growth in my life, but I'm more aware of my desperate need for the grace of God because uh, I realize how much more broken I was than I ever realized when I was 25.
1: You said that very well. Um, if there wasn't growth, you know, this, this is all a hopeless, uh, desperate attempt Uh, you know, to either get better, improve, or see spiritual growth, or, or, you know, increase joy and happiness, peace, those kinds of things. So the good news is there is spiritual growth, there just isn't spiritual perfection. And I I think the person who is a person of, of character and strength comes to a place in life where they are willing to admit that, they're, they're willing to admit, hey, I, I'm not as, I have issues and I have uh, tensions in my life and I have flaws uh, that are actually destructive to myself and to the people around me, my marriage, my spouse, my kids, my friends, colleagues at work, uh, that if I don't overcome some of this or if I don't get experience some growth uh toward this newer life that the bible speaks about i'm just going to keep hurting myself my my marriage my children and those around me so uh as you as you grow in awareness you realize oh i still have some stuff yeah the person who is unaware is unaware um and, and therefore, if you're unaware of some of the things that you struggle with or are offensive to other people or are getting in the way of a career advancement or whatever it might be, um, if you're unaware of those things, how can you even begin to overcome them or attack them or address them? So the person of strength, the person of character has come to a place in life where they're, they're humble enough. And honest enough to look at some of these things in their life that are still there, that, that are that still bubble up and rise up as problems that get in the way of our relationships in our life.
0: You know, I of so I've been here 23 years, 24 years. And if if I was asked what sermon series I did that that has gotten the most purchased most uh i continue to hear about it might be a series i did called blind spots where i i because i had this horrific revelation on the golf course when i'm, I'm playing golf with a, a foursome and there's a guy that has got about a two and a half minute routine he goes through before every shot and it's just yeah. killing us yeah and the 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 you know the marshal comes along keeps telling us to hurry up and this guy keeps yelling at us and telling us we got to pick up our pace and i i realize at some point he doesn't understand what he's doing and then i i just think oh my goodness if it's possible to be that clueless about your own behavior what does everybody around me know about me that i have not yet figured out and it's just a horrible moment so you talk in your book, by the way, you tell lots of stories and I almost feel like you 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 talk twice about laughing at your wife in the middle of a fight. I think I, like, wow, this needs to come with a do not do this yes. <laughs> little yes. warning on yeah. it. Yeah. But you tell another story in which on two occasions, the elders came to you and said, you have to undergo You have to go into a process. You have to go to a program. You have to understand. And I think one of the times, if I'm remembering right, is like 200 pages of feedback that you get and they lock you in a room and force you to read this. I mean.
1: Can I leave this Zoom call and show you those documents? it takes (laughs) take you like three seconds. Sure. Let let me just grab this real quick. So, yeah. I had to go to counseling uh, for a full year, and this—this this is these two books, 235 pages, 225 pages of feedback that was given to me after you know a year-long knockdown, dragout, going down to this or seeing him being interviewed. He interviewed all my family members, all my friends, anybody who knew me. And this was after the church board. This was ten years into my leading Eaglebrook. We were probably a church. I know we'd grown from three hundred to five thousand or whatever. And just it was such a fast pace, Mike. I had no time, no margin to think about. Do I have any character flaws? I don't think I do. Here's part of the part of the um, the difficulty I was having is that outwardly we were experiencing all this. Success, if you can call it that. Church was growing, people were coming, and as and as pastors, you know, we get we get a lot of um compliments and along with a lot of criticism, but outwardly we were successful. And so part of my rationale or part of my psyche was if if this is going so well outwardly, I must have it together. I must be a good leader, a person people can trust and follow. By the way, I'm, you know, one of my spiritual gifts is teaching. I'm, a, I'm an accomplished teacher. How can, how can anybody really criticize me for, for anything because of the success? And what a blind spot. You talk about blind spots. I mean, how many people who are, quote, unquote, successful do we know who are absolute train wrecks? in their personal life. I mean, you can go, you can talk about sports figures, Tiger Woods lost his marriage, his kids, Tom Brady just lost, Tom Brady just tanked his career and his personal life, not his career necessarily, but here he's having the worst year in football, lost his marriage, lost his kids, incredibly talented, one of the best, the GOAT they call him. And yet he's got something behind all of that in his character that caused him to lose his entire personal life. Now, that's kind of what was going on with me. How can I be criticized? How can I have something dreadfully wrong with me, given all this success? And so that's when the church board stepped in and say, time out, Bob. Yeah, all this is happening. All this looks great. But there are some deep cracks in your character that if you don't address them, We're going to fire you. Hmm. And I'll never forget that board meeting, Mike. You've been in some of these board meetings late at night. My jaw dropped to the table. This was this. And I thought these eight people in this room have the power to fire me. And they said, we will let you continue to lead under one condition that you go away and you get counseling for a full year. And I said, you know, (laughs) okay. And I did. And that was the first time in my life, I think I was 42 years old, that I had the privilege or the opportunity to have a professional dig into my life and surface some of these issues that were, that were happening that really threatened my career, threatened my, my marriage. My marriage was suffering. I was unaware of that. Uh, my kids were suffering. I was unaware of that. Uh, my friends or colleagues at work were afraid of me, and I was again running so fast and had such deep unawareness of what it was that was causing this. I just
0: kind so, of blew it off. So you you obviously you were you were coming at this in a little bit of a different camp. So you you are at one in one. Category, you are one of the most "quote unquote" successful pastors. Now, I, I think we would we would both challenge that term. Bigger doesn't necessarily mean better. Doesn't mean right. successful. There's there's right. a lot of issues there. But yep. but you're seeing professional growth. What you're going after, you're seeing happen, but it's coming at a great personal cost, and you're not aware of the fallout, the the carnage behind you. So,
1: well, Mike, let me say this: I was suffering. Um, just from a manic pace of life. I I was teaching at Bethel Seminary. I was leading their department, trying to lead this massive church, trying to attend to 125 staff who many of them were, you know, having their own personal... So I was trying to manage this, this enormous uh, demand on my life. And it was not... It was... It was humanly impossible, but I yeah. didn't know I didn't know where I didn't know when to throw up the white flag and say, hey, I need help.
0: So so I, w- I wanna I wanna footnote that, but I also want to to say how many other people they're working in business, they're a they're a doctor, they're a teacher, they're whatever they're doing. They're they're they may not have the Christian celebrity status or whatever, whatever we would say you're enjoying at that point, but they are stuck in a different way, but don't know it. Or they know it. How, how many people do you think actually grow and and are moving towards, moving a little bit away from the Romans? Or do we just say Romans seven is normal? Paul, Paul is frustrated with his own lack of growth. We just need to normalize this more. How, how would you put numbers yeah. to that?
1: <clears throat> well, not everybody grows. We know full grown adults who are still stuck in their old patterns, hopelessly stuck. And there's reasons for that. I would say, you know, first of all, for me, it was such, it was so painful. I was experiencing such pain through this counseling and being confronted with this and pain through broken relationships. And, you know, one of the, Persons who was interviewed for you know what's what's it like to be Bob's son, he was 15 years old and he said, "I just I don't understand why my dad is so mad all the time." Ugh. My my and I was totally so when I when the counselor read that back to me, it just it it crushed me. So th- this this painful you know this feedback of people saying Bob's not loving. Uh, Bob is harsh with his language. It's not fun to be around Bob. I don't know how much longer I can last on staff because of his leadership. When I was read back those statements, I mean, 225 pages of it, it crushed me. And so the turning point for me, Mike, in spiritual growth was pain. And I needed to experience a level of pain and even fear of losing my job. That's the only thing that got my attention that said, okay, something's wrong. I I was in such pain that I knew something had to change. And so a couple of things I'd say, you gotta be honest about, about that. You gotta be humble enough to look at it and you gotta do the hard work if you wanna change. Um, if you want to see spiritual growth, but so many people are, you know, are unwilling to be honest about it. They're unwilling to be humble enough and they simply don't have the courage or the um, the willingness to put in the work to overcome, whether it's, it's an addiction or alcoholism or anger or deep anxiety or depression, whatever it might be if If you're unwilling to be honest about that and say something's wrong here, and then, okay, am I humble enough to go try to get some help and ask about that, get a counselor, get get some help with that? And then am I willing to do what the counselor says?
0: Yeah, so you're you're I mean, we, we certainly could name a half dozen or maybe three dozen pastors who were in your situation and did not survive uh did not have boards that were strong enough to stand up to them and say you got to do this or else and so god bless the board one of the things that i've been frustrated with and written about in the last couple years is we need boards that are real boards elder boards boards of trustees that are you know you're doing the work i mean if you (laughs) because I've given money to organizations based on the fact that you look at the board and you go okay these are people that I know and trust and they're looking yeah. under the hood and and in many cases they're not. So you had that opportunity what do you say I mean most people are not going to get they're not going to have the opportunity to get a 200 page report on their life. So Yeah, but okay, go ahead. So how what, how do how do people learn this
1: about themselves. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, a year long, big knockdown drag out with a professional counselor coach, but I would ask a few questions. So if you're experiencing pain, or if you're, if you, if you've been married twice now, and you're looking at a third divorce, or if you uh, continue to struggle with, with an addiction of some sort, if you continually find yourself uh, lacking money or being uh marketable as a as an as an employee um will you be willing to read a couple of books if i recommend them to you uh would you be willing to come to church or, or you know seek some spiritual guidance and just see if god has something to? would you be willing to read you know the, the book of James in the Bible, five chapters, easy read, and and continue to read it over and over again until it seeps into your soul, or the book of Proverbs, would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to talk to a counselor? Uh, you know, you and I might, we, we pull our hair out sometimes, and we, we counsel somebody who's struggling in their marriage, and you and, and we say, well, have you ever been to counseling? They say, well, no. Are you in a small group? No. Do you read your Bible? No. Do you uh, have you read any good book on no? And it's like how, I don't even know what to I don't even know what to say to that. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And then they'll criticize you for a thirty-minute sermon that didn't meet their needs on the weekend. Mm-hmm. It's almost unfair. You can't come to a church service and expect a thirty-minute message or sermon, whatever you want to call it, to fix you if you've neglected all week long your soul and your soul is starving. And so now they're expecting, so that's a bit of a tangent there. Some baggage that's coming out of me. Right. No, no.
0: right. <laughs> well, I, so I have been fortunate 25 years ago, I got with a couple guys and we have done this every year or so. And we've now moved, you know, a couple times, probably four or five moves among us. So we're no longer in the same zip code, but uh, talk frequently, you know, a couple times a week and then also uh, get together for some extended times. And we've done something, we've done two things and I'll I'll put these in my, um, I guess I'm supposed to say the show notes, but I'll put these somewhere that people can access. And one is just a set of questions that we fill out about our life and sort of self-reporting and it's a it's a safe environment it's a you know these people have got they only want what's best for you so there's no advantage to hiding anything and and we sort of do a deep dive in each other's lives but the other thing is we do something called two plus one where we share two affirmations and a challenge so i want to affirm you in this i want to challenge you in this and i want to affirm you in this and it is now, of course, we do two affirmations in a challenge, but the only thing you hear is the challenge. Like, <laughs> oh, my right. goodness, exactly. this is a kick in the gut. Yeah. And uh, it's but but it's sort of a safeguard. And I, I tell you what, it's not fun. I mean, it's, it's oh. remarkably unfun. And you can get mad when people, especially when they're both saying the same thing, like, here's your blind spot, dude. And then you're like this is what you said last year. You know, I'm sick of you saying, you know, move on to something else. And it's like, no, cause this is it, but you gotta really, you gotta seek out people that you can trust that will tell you these things. Otherwise the only person that will tell you the truth is your spouse. And that's usually not, not well received and it caused all kinds of tension. And I, I try to say to especially men, I, Look, the, the more professional success you have, the less likely you know the truth about yourself, because people aren't going to tell you because you got power over them or they want something from you. And so you're going to have to work really hard to hear that. Or you're going have to have a board that just says, oh, you know what? Uh, here's your choices. You can be fired or you can go to counseling. Yeah. Um, we're not we may not have that that gift that you had so we may have to just aggressively seek it out on our own yeah i mean the truth is
1: we can only see 40 percent, or we can't see 40 percent of our of our body for example i can't see the back of my head and i i cut my own hair now with a buzz thing and i i actually had a mohawk back here and didn't realize it <laughs> speaking on stage because i can't see i can't see the back i can't see my backside and that's really true about our personality or our, our, yeah. our character. We, we can't see 40% of who we are. And so uh, I'll bet you and I, Mike, whoever our friends are, family, we all, you and I could point out a flaw or an issue that this person probably needs to work on, maybe unaware of. That's the same with us. Yeah. Anybody who knows me <laughs> could point out a flaw or two not to hurt me if they're, if they have the best interest, not to bring me down, but to be aware of it so that I'm not offending people right and left, not hurting relationships, not hurting job promotion, not hurting, uh, friendships. It's just, you're doing yourself a huge favor if you have the courage to look at that 40%.
0: You talk in your book, I think I, I, I noted this on page 31, you talk about, um, The cost of not following Christ. Or you say the cost of following Christ, the cost of being a disciple, the cost of doing the things that you've got to do can be high. It's okay, you're gonna have to die to self, you're gonna have to do these things. But then you talk about the cost of not doing those things and the tremendous bondage of bad habits and sin and brokenness. So I think we've established that those points that that you were stuck we're all stuck we've got blind spots so you saw growth you've been a pastor how how does growth happen you said you've got to you've got to come at this with humility and you've got to be resigned to hard work what is but 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 then what okay i okay maybe i'm stuck Or I know I'm stuck. I'm addicted. I've got problems. I I can't get out of my own way. I see it now. So what do I
1: do? Well, you mentioned Paul, Paul's uh, writing in Romans 7, you know, and he says there, "I, I see the thing that I want to do and I can't do it. I want to do what's right, I can't do it. I keep falling back into this sinful pattern. And then he concludes all that almost in exhaustion and says, Thank be to God you know, for Jesus Christ, basically, it's like, I'm, I'm hopeless in this area that I'm struggling with. But thank goodness, Christ lives in me. And his spirit actually lives inside the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside every believer. And so that's really where it starts and where it continues and where it'll be finished. It's, it's God's ongoing work by his spirit. Um, Mike, you and me are sinners. And so for me, it's, it's a daily, I've got, I've got my place where I sit every morning. It's, it's a chair, my Bible is there. I have a good book I'm reading. It's, it's the place that's designated for me to meet with God. And it's, I quiet my life and there's confession. God, forgive me for sin. Reveal to me as I sit here with you, if there's anything in my life right now that needs to be addressed, um, please reveal that to me. But it, it's, it's a quiet time in the morning with my coffee, 30 minutes now, 40, 45 minutes these days. It used to be shorter than that when I was working like a crazy man. Um, but I, I, it's a spiritual thing. I need God's spirit. I need his power to reveal things to me, to nudge things in my, to nudge me in areas of, of, of need. And then just saying, God, will, will you help me overcome this? Forgive me for stumbling over it yesterday or, or two days ago. Um, please make me new, make me clean. Give me your power. Uh, give me your your grace and your your wisdom to overcome that. So it's really a spiritual battle. Uh, it's also and I'll use that word battle, you know Satan is is attacking us. Satan is a real being and he, he the Bible says that he is trying to bring us down every single day. And so I pray against the I pray against Satan's attack, you know putting up the shield of faith which just extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So the evil one is trying to shoot at us and cause us to stumble and trip. So I come against him. It's a spiritual battle. And it, I'm never going to be perfect. It is going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight. And these things rise up in me. And I have to go back to God's spirit and say, forgive me. I, I, I failed. I let my mouth run off. I was uh, critical of my spouse. I was angry. I was uh, overly judgmental of someone. I I said something I shouldn't have to a friend. Please forgive me of that. So I'm never going to be be perfect on this side of heaven, because I still have a sinful nature. But because God's spirit is inside of me, there is a power. There's a power to over to overcome those things, not to perfection. But hopefully over time, there's there's a spiritual growth that takes place. And I'm stronger today than I was yesterday.
0: You know you said there's there's a couple of things you said that i want to I want to yeah. pivot back to. So first of all, i want to want to emphasize something that that um, I'm we are more aware, I certainly am more aware of my desperate need for grace than I was twenty five years ago. So if you had asked me, 25 years ago, when I'm first sort of waking up to the fact that well, I I don't just need a coach, I don't just need uh, I don't I don't just need good advice. I'm actually going to need help with this sin that I it is a little surprising to me. Like wow, I can't I can't just get better. And uh, so let's just say I needed uh, at that point, I said, well, the difference between my performance and God's standard is I need a pound of grace. We'll we'll say it's a pound of grace. So now fast forward 30 years, I now say, okay, I now see the difference between where God is and where I am as I need like 5,000 pounds of grace. (laughs) And it's, and in, in some ways, I'm better than I was. My, perf- my actions, my heart, I've gotten wiser. I'm, I'm more compassionate. But what's really changed is I understand how deeply broken I am behind that. I, I can put on a better face than, than I used to. Mm-hmm. So I realize I'm far more layered in brokenness. But I also see that God's holiness is so much bigger than I understood. So I need so much more grace. And we would, I think most people showing up at church consistently would understand that we are saved by grace through faith, that we are it, it, is, it, it, is, the, it is a gift of God. We are not going to be able to earn. We need Jesus as our Savior. So salvation is by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift. We don't contribute 1% in that equation. I think we get that. I think that I had not appreciated until you know five years ago, ten years ago, how much grace I needed in the sanctification process. <laughs> I would have thought some of this I just got to muscle through. I just have to keep getting do. I got to try harder. I got to do more. And there's a partnership there. I think Augustine said, uh, "We can't do it, and God won't do it without us." You know. Uh, we can't get better on our own, and God's not going to make us better unless we show up with certain availability and submit ourselves to to other people and to confession and to the Bible and to service. But those things will make us better. So I I appreciate in your book and what you're saying that yeah, spiritual growth is about our own efforts, we've got to adopt some of these practices, we got to submit ourselves to certain patterns, but it's also, we're desperately dependent upon the grace of God, Absolutely, and it doesn't, it, that doesn't go away. It get, we, we we now realize, I need more grace than I thought I did yesterday.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you're, you're touching on something, like, extremely helpful to me, even right now as I'm listening to you, Um, and I, and I started to talk about it a little bit where I have a chair and so there are certain things that I have to do to put myself in a position of spiritual growth to, you know, we're not just a body, we're a body and a soul. And there are certain things I do to keep my body strong. I, I try to eat well, I'm, I'm drinking now. Uh, 72 ounces of water every day because I just had a kidney stone. I don't want to go through that again. So I'm, I'm on that. Reg- there are certain things I do for my body to keep my body strong. I work out and I'm, I'm fit, try to stay fit, but we also have a soul. And so what are some of the things I'm doing to make sure that my soul is fit or in a position where it can grow and thrive? So, you know, having that, that daily time or, Consistent time where you're quiet before God, asking Him to speak to you, reading some good literature, reading His Bible a little bit. It doesn't have to be long; just a few verses sometimes at a time, and just prayerfully sitting there with Him. But there's other things. You know, who are the people you're hanging around with? Are are they are they ahead of you in the spiritual realm? Are are they people that can you know bring wisdom into your life and hold you accountable? Are you reading some books that are helpful, or, or is it just entertainment? Do, do you You know, what are the, what are some of the things we talked about this too? It's, you know, what are you feeding your mind? And if if it's just all (laughs) popular television or whatever it might be, and it's not offset by some other, you know, purifying influence, uh, you just have, there's, there are certain disciplines, there are certain things I need to do so that my, my soul will thrive. There are certain things I need to avoid. I, I, I need to avoid certain uh, video or certain uh, movie content. I need to avoid certain uh, types of literature or books or social media. I need to uh, avoid certain kinds of people, perhaps, that would actually damage my soul. Uh, so I have to be careful that I, I, I don't think of myself as just a body. I also have a soul. And if I don't take care of my soul, there's no way I'm going to be able to overcome. You know, God's spirit is going to be blocked. The Bible says you stifle the God's spirit through unconfessed sin; that God's spirit will be doused. So I don't want that to happen. I need to put my soul in a position where God's spirit can actually help me grow.
0: So you have a chapter um, called "The The Middle Is Miserable." Yeah, <laughs> talk talk a little bit about what do you mean by that? Well, you know, uh,
1: most people, if you talk to them, especially people who are coming to our church, will say, you know, I want to be a Christian. I want enough of God <laughs> to get me into heaven and be good with God and have a decent life. But I want to have a little fun, too. So, you know, I, I want to indulge in some certain things, I, you know, I want to have enough of God to make me good with him and I'm, I'm good with heaven, but man, I want to have fun. I want to sin a little bit. And that's a formula for absolute frustration because, you know, people often say what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That, that is such a lie because whatever happens in Vegas follows you home in the form of regret, probably uh, a diminishment of your finances, probably relational brokenness if you're married or have some people in your life you care about. I mean, what stays in Vegas or what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. It follows you all the way home. And so, uh, you know, to try to walk that middle line of God and sin What's going to happen is sin will always pull you in that direction. Yeah. And you'll be the most frustrated, defeated, uh, live with ongoing regret, live with relational failure if you try to walk this middle. It doesn't mean that if I'm going to be you know, this godly person that, that God's going to uh, extract all the fun out of my life. But I would rather be a person who hunts deer and pheasants who I love with my dog and come home uh, to a spouse who knows that she could trust me yeah. on, on my trip. I'd rather, you know, I can golf and still not sin like <laughs> crazy. I can still enjoy my round of golf without sinning you know with the cocktail waitress afterwards or with the guys and whatever the guys do I can still enjoy golf and still not end up in the ditch and I think that's what God would you know I, th-
0: I think two two things there when I when I was reading your chapter that I thought of one is that um first of all I, I think there's this idea that being holy or the puritans all this is no fun it's like miserly small ugly when in actuality uh it's it's sin that is not fun sin is broken good it can never deliver it's got a great advertising uh campaign going but in the end it's diminished and and addiction i think is it you know it, it shows that it, it shows where this goes it takes more and more it gives less and less until pretty soon you're miserable you're getting no upside and it's taking everything and so i think that somehow we've got to we got to challenge this idea that that loving god or being it, it that somehow that that kind of thriving or that life is without joy when in actuality it would be more joyful. The second thing that I thought of is um, Clayton Christensen, who passed away was a Harvard Business School professor, uh, wrote a book called uh, How to Measure Your Life. And he talks about making a bunch of decisions. He was a Rhodes Scholar and a bunch of other things. And he talks about early on making a bunch of decisions that there were some things he was just always going to say no to. One of them, and he talks about this, was playing basketball on Sundays. And when he's a Rhodes Scholar, he's at Oxford, and they're supposed to play in the national championship game. It's just a chariots of fire thing. Supposed to play in this game. And and the the championship game is on a Sunday. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. And of course, all kinds of arguments from everybody up and down the food chain about how this is horrible. And he said, look, my life is simple. There's just a bunch of things I've decided yes, and a bunch of things I've decided no. And I never have to think about them again. It's when you, when you sort of waffle back and forth that your life gets complicated. And I do think, and I, again, you talk about this a little bit when you talk about the, the high cost of non-discipleship, the high cost of sin, the high cost of compromise on your values and other things. I think that um, we don't appreciate that.
1: Yeah. So I would, to, to follow Christ, to have God in my life, Mike, and to grow in my relationship with him on a daily basis you, you touched on it brings such joy such peace not perfect peace i don't think i'll ever have perfect 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 peace on the side of heaven but uh it increases the love in my life the friendship factor um a security a a eternal security but also just a security in this chaotic world that only God, by His Spirit, I would much rather live that life than one that is chaotic, uh, stuck in greed, lust, regret, failure, which is what a non godly life brings you. And so, it's not even a comparison. It's not. It's not that you have to. Uh, uh, get a new personality, become all, you know, all godly and start talking Christianese. That's bogus. It's simply that I'm growing in this relationship with God who loves me and forgives me and wants to uh, strengthen me to face <laughs> this cruel old world that we live in and and wants to uh, save me from all this brokenness and failure and regret. Yep. That, and, that and, that
0: and hurting people that I love. Yes. <laughs> like I'm so tired of hurting people that I love. I want to yes. stop doing that. Okay, so we're just about done here. Um, one, one other comment, I guess one other observation that that sort of been a discovery to me in the last 10 years, maybe this is something on your radar, maybe not. Uh, I saw it, you You had a Dallas Willard quote in there and Dallas Willard was the one that alerted me to this initially. And then I just see it now much more in secular studies. And that is that our willpower is very weak. It's a very limited muscle. Mm-hmm. And we have to understand that because we can't, you know, lots of people talk about this in terms of January 1st. I said, I'm going to I'm gonna lose 15 pounds. I'm gonna save all this money. I'm gonna read the Bible through in a year. We got 20 different things that we're gonna do. And the argument is, yeah, no, you you just we just don't have that much sheer gumption. We just can't force ourselves. And with using our willpower in any way deletes it in every other arena. And so the argument has been. And I've I've seen this resonate for me in different ways, almost accidentally. But the argument is we need good habits because once you develop the habit, then it doesn't take any willpower anymore. And then you can move on to the next habit. And so for me, by just, you know, dumb luck, God's grace, whatever, um, I developed the habit when I was in my late 20s, of uh, going to bed early and getting up early because I just discovered, you know, if I step late, nothing, I, you know, the line I heard, nothing good happens after 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't get up at five in the morning to watch TV. I don't get up at five in the morning to do mindless, stupid stuff. If I'm up at five in the morning, it's thoughtful time. And so I just started going to bed earlier and getting up earlier and it was a, and now, you know, having done it for 40, 35 years, whatever, it's easy. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take any energy for me to get up at five o'clock because I, it's just a. I, as a matter of fact, it's really hard not to get up at five o'clock. So uh, on vacation, I'd sort of like to go, you know, I'd sort of like to sleep in, but yeah, I can't. Let's-
1: Let's talk just briefly about sexual temptation as pastors, people doesn't matter. Um, men particularly are are drawn to women and visually, and so as a younger person, younger pastor, uh, you know, in travel, travel is really a a, a danger point because you're alone, you're 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 know, you're unknown. And so if I was in an airport, I knew I knew that. The bookstore was a danger spot, so I would literally walk on the other side of the corridor. When I saw a bookstore, I I refused to allow myself to go into the bookstore because back in the day, we knew we knew where the pornography was when you were Playboy and hustler and all that was. And and I did not want. Mike, here's the thing: my emotional want to can override my willpower. Hmm. So. If if I'm in the bookstore, there's an emotional want to, that is dangerous to me, and I know, and I knew as a young person that I didn't have the willpower or strength to overcome that. So I literally had to walk on the other side of the corridor to avoid any sort of pull toward that place where the where the magazines were. Uh, I just don't trust myself, yeah. and so. All through life, I've had to put up boundaries. And you and I both know of, you know, godly people, pastors who have failed in this area. And we scratch our heads and we say, how did that happen to so-and-so? It would never happen to me. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So i that, was almost... saying, that there's, you know, our willpower, I, I, I have to avoid, literally physically avoid certain temptations so that... I'm not, you know, overpowered by my emotion. Does that make sense? I have to stay Finally away. From it makes
0: great that. sense. And I and I and again, I think there's two there's two sides of this. One is to recognize that our will is weak. It's yeah. it's a limited muscle, and it's it's gonna it's gonna tap out pretty quickly. So, consequently, what we need is good habits. We need good friends. We need safeguards. We need we need that in order to grow. Yep. 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 So, um, we're, we're coming up on an hour and, uh, you've been gracious to give me that, uh, that time. Are you, you going to write another book?
1: <laughs> well, I haven't had that staying that awake urge. at night, that, that fire. No, but I, you know, I've been asked that and I may, but
0: we'll see. Are you reading anything right now that you're recommending to other people? Yeah, I'm reading a few things. Uh, I just read the
1: Andre Agassi story called Open. What a fantastic biography, autobiography, Against All Odds by Alex Kershaw's World War II. So I'm reading a little bit of that. Here's a book that that I've read recently called The Earned Life yeah. by uh, Marshall Goldsmith. I, I hesitate a little bit because he he follows Buddhism but he's this world-class consultant and talks about some of the things we've talked about. So I've, I've overlooked <laughs> the Buddhist part of it and just tried to glean some things that are, that are important um, for, for everybody. So anyway, those are some things I've been reading a little bit.
0: Okay. Well, I appreciated your book and I appreciated the time that you gave. Um, yeah, kept... hey, Mike, As you're concluding here, I,
1: I, this is a third book. I've written other two others. Uh, the other two books, if you don't mind, uh, were Get Wise, which is, I think, just a, a must-read for every parent, young person. Talk about the basics of living based on the Book of Proverbs. Proverbs, yep. Yeah. and then my first book, When Life's Not Working, and it was re-retitled uh, uh, Seven Simple choices for a better tomorrow it's been a while <laughs> seven simple what seven seven simple choices for a better tomorrow
0: okay and that was and my
1: first first book but yeah so the,
0: the, the second book called get wise is on proverbs
1: yeah based on proverbs based and on just proverbs. really gritty every day again story story filled with personal stuff and failures and flops so yeah
0: well yeah i, I should say to um to uh the listeners that your book uh done with that is there's lots of stories so it is a Unread. Uh, it is it has got some heavy lifting but it's there's a lot of stories in there to sort of carry you through and you. and some of which i've winced a couple of times again when you were laughing at your wife i'm like oh man <laughs> like, dude that is such a bad strategy uh she's gonna what whatever well,
1: like I said I'm a flawed human being Mike. still yeah. working on it
0: okay well <laughs> I appreciate this time um enjoy uh the rest of the day it's a glorious day in Chicago it's supposed to get almost 70 degrees today right. yeah. and um, so I don't know whether when your' next uh, when you next roust blew out to go husband, peasant fin, hunting or elk hunting or whatever it is that you're gonna do fishing. But uh, appreciate the time that you gave us this morning, and I look forward to staying in touch.
1: Thanks, Mike.